guess I never, I don't know much about moose. They're awesome. So fucking big. Such a giant animal. Two, one, live, boom, live with James Hetfield. How are you, sir? <laughs> Doing awesome. Any Just... friend of Jim Brewer's is a friend of mine. So, awesome to hear. So, yeah. you, so you're in. Hey, man, I listened to your new shit in the gym today, and you know what's amazing about it? You guys still fucking rock hard. You know, you, you haven't... I love Aerosmith. I was a huge Aerosmith fan when I was a kid, but somewhere along the line, they became a ballad band. Somewhere along the line, they started doing movies for music, for, or mu music for movies that appealed to, like, uh, adolescent teenage girls. You know? Like, something happened. Yeah. I got you. No, and, they, and then... Uh, other people start writing your songs. That's that's I think the the ultimate kind of uh, uh, not giving up, but you've 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 lost your way. Yeah, but I wanted to talk to you about like there's a, there's a transition that very successful people make, and either they make it or they don't. And the 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 transition is to go from being hungry and filled with all this angst to being like stupid wealthy and famous, but still keeping your art relevant. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do that? Uh, we're super competitive people. We're really perfectionists, and we hate to let each other down. Uh, there's a, there's always a better riff coming. There's always a better album. Uh, maybe there's the never satisfied part to us that will keep us going till we die. You know, there's always the ultimate lyric that's going to connect to everyone in the world or something. There is always a, a better something that we haven't got yet. So it's that mindset. Is that you, you, it's, I guess in the beginning you just want to do it, right? You want to be a, a successful band. You want to make it. You're young. You're filled with angst. But your music has the same sort of intensity to it. Like today in the gym, I got in there. I hadn't listened to your new album at all. I fucking cranked it up to nine, and I just said, let's go. And I turned it on, and right from the jump, I was like, woo! Like, there's something about a good fucking hard rock album that just gets you pumped up. And you guys 100% A-plus <laughs> succeeded with this one. Awesome to hear. Well, that's, that's why we do it, too. We write, mu we write music, we record music that we want to hear because <laughs> we're not hearing it out there sometimes. So, and that's how it's been since day one. And, uh, you know, as you, we're, we're pretty honest in our music, too. So I love the fact that from album one to here, we're doing it our way, and we're writing songs for ourselves. And that there's an honesty that has to be in it, or people can see people can see that shit. Yeah, if you're they not definitely honest. can, right? Yeah, they're yeah. they're like little animals. They smell it, <laughs> right? Don't they? And they smell. Yeah, they smell. They smell <laughs> it. The whole deal. Yeah, it's it's just it's refreshing to see like a band that's been at it for a long time that's super successful that still goes after it. Yeah, the thing that uh, thing that bugs me a lot is when people say, you know, okay, now that you're now that you're sober or now that you're matured, now all this and you've worked out all your uh, demons and things like that, that your music's gonna be all soft and flowery. And I tell you, if if I could exercise all those demons i would have and it but it just it's something you you embrace it's a part of me and i get to celebrate it in my music i get to communicate it i get to use it as a therapy to help my own insanity and other people do too so when you get those like-minded people together in a place and play live music does something to people like you in the gym 
I get to watch people at our shows transform from, God, I just took my tie off or I still have my friggin' briefcase, you know, like handcuffed to me. I want out of this and I get to let loose and I get to see these people transform and 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 watch music do stuff to them. Yeah, transform is the right word, right? Because it does, it's almost like music, It, I think there's a, a an element to music that doesn't get discussed, that, that it does have some sort of an effect on the body. Like there's like when you hear a good song and you're in your car and you're like fuck yeah like it's like a drug. I mean it is. It's like taking Absolutely. taking a, a shot of this caveman nitro or something. <laughs> More powerful than that, really, because it's instantaneous. You yeah. know, oh, I got plenty of speeding song. tickets. Spl- oh, sure, plenty. Well, that's the best place. Uh, like uh, you know, for Lars and I to listen to the music when we're putting it together. You know, does it make the car test? You know that. That because you're yourself in your car. If no one right. else is in there, uh, you're you get to celebrate and listen and just go friggin' nuts in your car, and that's that pass the car test. You know, that's got to be where most people listen to most of their music these days. With all the commuting people do, especially here in L.A. Especially man, here, it's a ridiculous place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where well, are you live in these hopefully days? Hopefully, we save people from road rage. <laughs> they get to just headbang instead of shoot people. You ramping it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not too much uh, shooting people in cars anymore. It was going on for a while in like the 90s <laughs> that's trendy where do yeah. you where do you live these days i live in vale colorado oh no shit man yeah. wow that's kind of cool it's very cool it's quiet no friggin' traffic uh and especially now super quiet snow uh snow does does something to calm you down a little bit i, I agree with that i remember when i was a kid in boston there was those days when it would just snow hard you go outside and you, you experience quiet like you never heard it before right it's like awesome. everything gets filtered by that snow. Mm-hmm. Well, I like you know. There's a there's a there's a lone wolf part of me that I, I maybe you can relate to, <laughs> but I like being by myself. Uh, but I also like I need people to to connect with as well. But when I get out, uh, you know, living in Vail, moving from California to Colorado was a was a great thing for me. I, I feel really, oh. I feel a part of nature there, um, and you don't want to be inside there. There's something about it. You just want to be outside all the time. What's well, so beautiful? Yeah, I'm going to Colorado this weekend. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's fucking stunning up there. There's just something about Colorado. Those mountains are just the best natural artwork like you could ever look at. Yeah, no doubt. We get to look at the Gore Range right out our mountain and. I've drank plenty of Coors Lights in my life, and that's the one on the can. Like, wow, I'm looking at it. And uh, lots of 14ers there, lots of great, uh, you know, lots of great snowmobiling, rafting, you know, paddle boarding, you name it. What's a 14er? Uh, 14,000 feet peaks. Oh, yeah, oh, lots oh. of 14,000 feet oh, peaks. Oh, people who are into climbing those crazy peaks? Yeah, or hunting, you know. What made you move out there? Like, what What was the, uh, did you go there and visit first, or just decided you needed to separate from the hive? Yeah, there's there's probably a, uh, a multitude of things that made it happen. Uh, my wife grew up there. She was born in Argentina. They moved to Vail. She went to elementary school there. You know, we were going to Tahoe a lot to do skiing and stuff like that and she said you gotta we gotta go to Vail <laughs> this is this is not snow we'll go to Vail and feel snow and we went there a few times and I loved it I'm not a huge skier but I can ski and I have fun doing it my kids love it um, and so that 
my my wife turns into a kid when we go there, which I kind of like. It's a little more like me, you know. <laughs> she can be a little, you know, a little too on point and a little, you know, uh, she's she's uh, she loosens up and she becomes young again there. Um, so there's that. Kind of got sick of the Bay Area, the attitudes of people there a little bit. I was, you know, they talk about how diverse they are and, and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, it's fine if you're diverse like them, you know. But, you know, showing up with a deer on the bumper doesn't fly in Marin County, you know. Uh, my or, my My form of eating organic doesn't vibe with theirs you know did you do you have issues with that like with the people you lived with up in marin county with hunting or is it just something you felt yeah you know it's something i felt uh i probably made it up in my head a little bit yeah because i'm pretty good at that i'm pretty creative <laughs> and i can start fights with myself in my head all the time you know <laughs> a lot of people can oh yeah but but there was there was just a I don't know. I felt that there was an elitist attitude there, that if you weren't their way politically, their way, uh, you know, uh, environmentally, all of that, that, uh, you know, the, you were looked down upon. I think in Colorado, everyone is very natural. People are not playing some game. They're not posturing, you know. Yeah. They're very into, oh, you like doing that? Cool. How's that go? How, how you doing with that? You know, and they're 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 less they're less obsessed with stopping what you're doing, and more enjoying what they're doing. You know. Hmm. That's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. The I, I love the Bay Area, but I've always felt like I think you nailed it. The Bay Area, they love diversity as long as you're diverse the way they're diverse. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's so tech oriented. It's so absorbed with one aspect of society, technology and cell phones and the internet and electric cars, and it's so locked into that one sort of like mode of being. But I think a guy like you who goes out there and shoots an elk or something like that, it's probably like a little creepy to them. Well, I, I just think I, I feel more at home yeah. in the Midwest or the mountains or something. I mean, I love the ocean, and I love the Bay Area. I love what it's got to offer, but there's just, a, just an attitude that it, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't healthy for me, <laughs> starting to feel like uh, I was just fighting all the time, and I just had to get out of my own head. So Colorado does it for me. Well, um, you were doing that show, The Hunt, that uh, that show that what is it on History Channel or something like that, where it was all about uh, grizzly bear hunting. You were doing the narration for that. <laughs> yeah, and you, yeah. I, I saw all this crazy blowback because of that, where there was people were they wanted to boycott a music festival that you guys were on, and and there was photos of another guy who wasn't you. Right, uh, they were getting circled around. They were saying it was you that killed a grizzly bear, and they were, you know, saying we have to ban this. This is hard. It was, it was right. very strange. Like, what was your reaction to all that? I I kind of just took it as okay. That's you know how how it's been for me in the Bay Area. You know, people don't understand it. I mean, it's just like with anything. You know, I don't think they understand that someone can be as passionate about something else as as passionate as they are about what they are passionate about, you know? So if you're as 
uh, passionate about something, there's someone who's the opposite. And that's okay. You can get along. You can talk about it. No one's right. No one's wrong. This is my life. I like living it this way. You like living your life that way. I totally get it. But we can coexist in this. And let's really be diverse. You know, for me, uh, going out, whether it's planting my own vegetables, having, you know, my own beehives, getting our own honey, uh, harvesting my own meat on the ranch, that's what I love doing. I love sustaining my family with as organic as possible. And, uh, you know, I, I, I respect people that don't want the blood. They don't want all that scene. They would rather see their meat or whatever it is show up in a nice cellophane package and it's handed to them. They don't want to know how it got there. I, I respect that. My kids are like that. They don't want to see it going on. But I want to be as close to the earth. I want to be as part of it as possible. I want to be part of every bit of it and respect it. Yeah, I, I get that sentiment. And I always found it strange how many people get upset at what you do, but meanwhile they're eating meat. I mean, the San Francisco is filled with restaurants that are serving meat everywhere you go. Every single store you pass by has meat in it. And to focus on you for, you know, going out and hunting is always a, a little weird. Well, I guess I'm more old school. I don't know whatever it is. You know, I, I think the Bay Area prides itself, and I'm glad there is a place that prides itself on being progressive, very moving forward. Hey, we're creating the future here. And I love the convenience and stuff of that. But then there's a part of me that just maybe is like frontier style. I just love that. I would rather be simple. Mm. Well, I think it's also probably you're performing in front of fucking hundreds of thousands of people all the time. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, you need a balance. I mean, you need some sort of an opposite end of the scale just to weigh things out. Very true. Very true. Uh, you know, I, what about me? I want me time. Yeah, you know, chill time. Uh, quit pulling me all these different ways and stuff. Uh, certainly not complaining. That's what I choose to do. But I also choose this, too. Well, that's where a veil completely makes sense. Mm -hmm. what, so how long have you been raising bees? Probably f uh, only maybe four years. How did you get started in that? How do you start raising bees? <laughs> start with one. Well, actually, start with two. Really? No. Um, <laughs> they're not like rabbits. <laughs> but they do produce quite quickly. You know, uh, my dad raised bees uh, I just, we always saw boxes out in the corner of the, the house. You know, we grew up in LA here and, you know, the weather's so great. So there's, you know, lots of bee activity. That's the bummer about being in Vail now. Not a lot of, not a lot of bee action going on. It's too high. It's too cold. Right. Uh, and you know, certain vegetables grow there, but not a lot. But, uh, in California, the ranch love, I love it. I got a, I had a friend who, in his backyard, he, he probably had six hives, and he had this one really intense kind of rogue hive where maybe the queen had some kind of strain of uh, uh, Africanized or something, and her wife could not—his wife could not go out in the backyard without being attacked, you know? Whoa. So he says, hey, can I go put my— bees on your property so they can cycle this queen out you know they got some breeding and it was just off jesus christ so <laughs> he he brought it out to the ranch he pinched the bee and then 
pinched the queen. Pinched it? What do you mean? Killed it. And oh, then Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a nice euphemism. He didn't have to shoot it or nothing, you know. <laughs> Hold still. <laughs> you know? So he just but, grabbed the queen and killed her. Well, I just pinched it because she was reproducing. I mean, they lay like a million eggs in their lives. It's insane. That I mean, I I basically I could sit here and talk a whole hour about bees because they're so interesting let's do it all right well uh, <laughs> I'm the not, listener i'm not scared <laughs> oh they listen they'll listen trust me it's right. interesting stuff so yeah put it put a new queen in there and they they you know cycled through all of the old, uh, other bees i mean they only live a month so what is a, a nor so a normal reaction when people go in the yard would be they would be just disinterest they wouldn't care about you as long as you're not interrupting the hive exactly but your wife would go out there and they would just get crazy yeah but was not some- with you Oh yeah, they no, did no, it with no. You this too. wasn't me. This was my friend's wife. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, but he he's kind of used to it, and she was not. She was out to go swimming. So he or would something. go out there, and they would they would get crazy with him. But he's like, this doesn't bother me. But she was like, fuck this queen, fuck this hive. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And there's certain things. If you're wearing black, they all attack you. You really? know, almost they think you're a bear. You know what? Yeah. Uh, if you've like just eaten bananas, there's some, there's some, I don't know, a smell or a something in it that is similar to their attack pheromone that they set off. So there's a few things I've learned over the years. Don't eat bananas the... and don't eat, don't wear black. Exactly. That's all you gotta do. But I learned this stuff being in the B club. You're in a B <laughs> I in, club. I was in the B club. Yeah, in uh, in uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, we'd meet down at the uh, American Legion's Hall and. Have a monthly meeting, you know. Wow, <laughs> what are those dorks like? Uh, People me and my are buddy, super into bees. Oh my god, <laughs> we would just sit there and kind of laugh about them. Uh, but we're sitting there. I mean, we're here to learn some yeah. stuff. But there were people up there that, okay, we inseminated the queen with this. And, you know, there were counting bees. You know, we put little numbers on every bee and we caught their flight pattern and how many were reproducing this. And, I mean, it, it's all, you know, it's all uh, like they're, they're, they're doing research on how to make the bee stronger because the bees are, you know, going away. Right. But, um, you know, it's this mite, this little uh, varroa mite that's killing a lot of them, too, along with the pesticides and herbicides. But, uh, you know, people that are so into it and we're just kind of sitting there going, oh, man, what have we gotten ourselves into? But it's kind of, you know, it's funny in a certain way, but I'm glad that it's happening. But, uh, you know, I get, you know, at the, at, at the end of the season, you got like 500 pounds of honey. Whoa. And you're handing them out to your friends and everyone's loving it. 500 pounds of honey. That's yep. insane. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're bottling it up. My kids are filtering it. We're, you know, bottling it up. And it's, dude, it's just straight from the hive into a bottle. I mean, after you've filtered it. And it it really helps with allergies it helps with uh you know the uh, whatever getting the pollens and then and the nectars from the area so when you take that in and it helps build your immune system yeah i've heard that so you've experienced that personally absolutely and wow. i think being stung by bees helps you too it helps with with something getting your, your immune system built up to it's the it's supposed to be really good for arthritis they they take people like literally take bees people that are that have uh, like serious arthritis in their hands and they sting their hands with it on purpose right 
Yeah. I think there's some people that do it for their lips here in L.A. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need people that are so deep, deep, deep into the B world because you're not going to do it and I'm not going to do it. But if right. someone's just so far gone, they're measuring all their bees and monitoring their flight patterns and checking their <laughs> DNA. I'm just fascinated that there was a clear differentiation between a normal bee and the way these bees were behaving. You could tell yeah. that the queen was kind of a freak. But I tell you, those freak bees, the Africanized or whatever, now there's a zombie bee, and we, we can get into that too. But uh, they, are, they are aggressive, and an aggressive, you know, it's like any society, they do well. They, they get most, they produce a lot of honey, and they, they, they're very, very uh, prolific in what they do, you know? Yeah, I've had killer bee honey. They, they make killer bee, like, uh, we sell it at Onnit. I don't know, even know if it's any better. If it's killer bee honey's better than regular honey. But it's just pretty dope to have killer bee honey around your house. <laughs> this is well, about yeah, it. you know, that and the... Um, uh, uh, gosh, uh, what's this stuff called? I mean, there's there's lots of really cool healing properties in in like even the 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 kind of glue that they use to plug up holes and you know uh, the royal jelly, which is you know comes from their like the brain and it that's how they produce a queen. I mean, there's that's some, what royal jelly is. Yeah, yeah, it's from their brain. It's brain juice, man. Holy shit! How does it come out? Does it come out of a hole somewhere? <laughs> Uh, or do they have to scoop it out of their fucking heads? I haven't seen it that close, but you know, <laughs> they they inject it into the they inject it into the queen cell, or there's a cell that they make when a new queen is being made. Um, so all the bees that are flying around that you see out here, you know, they're all females. It's a huge. It's all female society. So the drones that are in there, which are the males, they're there just to reproduce, and then they get kicked out in the wintertime. and they, and die. they all die. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, man. It's hard out it's there. It's brutal. Brutal for us men in the bee world. So if they all die, how do they continue to reproduce? Well, there's some, I guess, that... Couples oh, stay no, they, 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 The queen makes more. Wow. So those guys are just dead. They're, the queen makes more, and the new ones take over, the new boys. Yeah, yeah. And they're just doing work. They're just... They're just, they're just fertilizing. That's, That's what it. they're doing. They're just there to fuck, and then everybody else yeah. is doing all the real work. You fuck and go die. That's wow. what you get to do. What a brutal <laughs> world. That's the, uh, what a fucking crazy world. Yeah. yeah. And then the queen goes around the hive and finds the females, other, other uh, potential queens, and stabs them while they're in the hive. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, they're, they're all females. They're right. all females except for those drones. And then, you know, if, there's, if they're making, uh, you know, she knows she's going to die or they're, they're kind of pissed off with her. She's not reproducing as much as she should. She will take off with like half the hive, and that's why you see a swarm. So she'll go and form a new hive, and then these ones have a little queen cell that they've laid eggs and start to make a new queen. So that's how they reproduce. And if there's three or four queen cells in there, the first queen that's born, she comes out, and she kills all the other queens so Ooh. she can rule. <laughs> Game of Thrones type shit. God, yeah. that's fascinating. And do You're you, going to get bees, I can tell. I'm, I'm right now. I'm, I'm looking in my head. I'm just looking at websites in my head. I'm like trying to find out where to get the bees. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing way to get honey. I mean, it just sounds like a really cool thing to do, too. Uh, it tastes so good. And we've got, you know, we, we, we have a place in Hawaii, so we've got Hawaiian 
flavored, <laughs> Hawaiian flavored. Well, there's stuff from you know that they they uh, get the nectar and pollen from over there, and you know Hawaii is nonstop. You know, so you're getting honey year round. What um, island? At Maui. Oh man, I love Maui. That's a beautiful spot. Um, so when you're, how do you know that a bee is Africanized? Because that was the big thing that everybody was worried about. You remember it was like. The early 90s, everybody was mm-hmm. like, they found an African killer bee in New Mexico or something. It was like, it's coming up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to swarm. They're going to take over the country in, inside of a few years. Right. There was a big hysteria about that, right? Yeah. Well, and there are, there are states where they are more uh, prevalent than others, and they're just more aggressive. They're more aggressive, and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're very protective. So you'll get stung if you're messing with them. So that's all it is. There's not I think that, so. That, yeah. But we, there was a big concern that they were going to take over and that it was going to be that these bees were just going to come here and outbreed the regular bees. And you're laughing. Remember it's that possible. Though? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's some great movies about that, too. You know, the killer bees. But there's no way to tell by looking at them. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm, I'm somewhat into it, but I haven't haven't investigated that part yet. <laughs> so these bees that came over from the p- perhaps Africanized bees that when they killed the queen and then introduced those bees to the rest of the bees, did everybody chill out? Yeah. So it's just that one crazy bitch. Well, yeah. She, you know, she's laying the eggs. She's uh, passing on the whatever DNA. Uh, but those the uh, the uh, the forager bees, the ones that you see out and about, they only live a month. So they will die out. And how long does she live? She can live between one to five years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What a bizarre culture. Strange it's really, society. really cool. And without them, I mean, you're there's lots of, uh, you know, orange, almonds, all kinds of stuff, especially here in California, in the, you know, in the... Uh, in the center, uh, center of California, all that farming, if there's no bees, there's, there's no fruit. Yeah, what a bizarre sort of symbiotic relationship that we have with some one weird insect. Mm-hmm. Pollination. I mean, you would have thought that that would have been taken care of some other way. Right. And it wouldn't be that a bee has to do it. Well, there are others that do it. What other know, animals like do it? Butterflies and really? certain. I'll tell you, not just honeybees, but there's there's probably over three thousand different kinds of bees. They're, they don't have a they don't have a hive society like the honeybees do but all these other bees are like loners they're they live in the ground or something and they just they just get enough pollen for themselves so they're kind of lone lone wolves out there but the honeybees are the ones that have more of a society i raise chickens and um this the chicken thing with us happened we just got a couple chickens and next thing you know we got this giant fucking chicken house with 23 chickens and they're running around my yard is that the same way with you? Like, you just kind of like slowly step into this and then get deeper and deeper? Yeah. It, I mean, just like getting your first tattoos. Like, yeah. wow, that's cool. I want more. Right. And, then, and uh, yeah, you just start to appreciate it. I think when I come off tour, it's like my head is just like ricocheting around in there. I, I, I go and I'll sit and watch the bees. Just watch them go in and out, in and out. There's like this friggin' landing strip that they come in and they look so busy it relaxes me, you know? <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, I'm not that busy. Just cool. 
chill. Yeah. Just chill. Now, is there a way, do you and have like a, a glass wall in any way where you can see into the hive? You ever seen those hives mm-hmm. where they make them? Do you, do you have it like that where you can look in there? Yeah, I've got one of the, yeah, well, oh, that's like a, a display one where mm-hmm. you bring into schools and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. can see. I don't have one of those, but I got a couple different kinds of hives, and it's fun to see. You know, sometimes you have the, the frames that uh, are already kind of pre-built, and then they just deposit their stuff in it, or you watch them grow their own comb from nothing, and it's pretty amazing. Yep. How do you get them to stay there, though? Like, how does it work? Like, I see those boxes, and I know that mm-hmm. the bees do have hives in those boxes, but how does it initially start? Well, it's the queen. Wherever the queen is, that's where they go. So if she decides to be in that box, so how do you get her to stay in that box? Uh, you have a place for her to lay eggs. I mean, that's pretty that's much it. it. Yeah, and she will stay. And if she's there, you know, when they go off to to they swarm to go find a new hive. If you've ever seen a swarm up in a tree, just like a giant, like football size or even bigger, a uh, 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 a shape of just bees. That queen is right in the middle, and they're all just around her. And then they send off the the scouts to find a new spot. They come back, say, hey, it's over here. They do their little wiggle dance, and that shows them how to get there, and they all go there. We had an incident once on Fear Factor where we covered these people with bees. There was like a beekeeper there, and he had his hive, Mm -hmm. and a local hive came over, and a group of bees came over and met with these bees, and we had to clear the area out, and they had to have a conversation. Like, it's literally what happened. They were yeah. in the air, just floating around, and then they worked it out. And then the, our bees came back, and they went back to the hive, and their bees went about their business. They mm-hmm. were just like, what the fuck's going on? You guys yeah. moving in here? Like, what are you doing? Territorial. Somehow or another, they worked it out, though. There was no bee death. There wasn't right. a bee fucking Braveheart war. It just, they figured it out. They had a good negotiator. I, don't, I wonder what, <laughs> I, do they communicate with any, I mean, are they using pheromones? Like, how are they S- Yeah, smells, smells and dances is dances. how they do it. Yeah. Dances. Yeah, some bee will find it like a good, hey, man, I found like a, a garden somewhere. And they'll come back and they'll see him do the little wiggle thing. It's like, how many wiggles this way? And then they turn left and then turn, okay, that's that's like a half a mile this way and then that, that way. And then they all learn it and then they go. Or, hey, I found some water. Here's a place to go. So they literally can tell them where something is by oh, yeah. their movements? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> That's crazy. So it's almost like a, like a body language. Pretty much, yep. And they all know it somehow, yeah. instinctively. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. There's a lot, a lot to learn about those things. That's really bizarre. Yeah. I didn't know that. They could tell each other where something is just by wiggling. Like they have like this means a mile, that means go left. Wow, man, I'm gonna get deep in bees, man. What the fuck have you done? All right, <laughs> yeah. And there's, I'm sure there's probably a feel of like, wow, I'm, I'm. There's a whole society right here in my yard, and I'm, I'm overseeing it. You know, there's yeah. probably a sense of importance. Uh, but you know, I, I lay off them. I mean, there are people that are. You know, checking them all the time and this and that, and oh, you got to put the the like, certain pads in there to kill the mites, and uh, you got to do this and that. It's like ah, they're natural, man. They've been around longer than we have, so just let them go. They know what they're doing. I don't, you know, who who's to say I know what I'm doing with them? Do they need specific types of plants around them in order to survive? Yeah, well, something that they can pollinate, and you know, it's from. Uh, it's good to plant, you know, what I've plant. I've planted stuff that, uh, 
you know, okay, it blooms in the spring, and then there's other stuff that blooms in the summer, and then there's other stuff that blooms, you know, like in the uh, late summer. So they've always got something going on. But they hibernate. They hibernate in the winter. No kidding. It's yeah. like bears. Yep. So when you are in Vail and you uh, you have obviously like really cold weather in the winter, what do they mm. do? They just shut down and stay in the hive and don't move? Well, uh, I don't have bees in Vail yet, and I'm going to try and figure oh. out how to do that. But uh, they, I mean, just like cattle, you know, you winter them down in the lowlands. So uh, I haven't found a place to to have bees go where they're, you know, it, there's less snow. But I'll, I'll figure something out because it's something I love doing. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. So in California, you have a whole ranch. Like you have like, you're totally like a prepper almost. You're sustainable. <laughs> Are you sustainable out there? Well water, the whole deal? You bet. Yep. Wow. That's a dream of mine. It I, is awesome, I'll oh. tell you. And that's a place I could just go up and disappear. I love it, man. And just get lost. Just get lost in the anything. Get lost in detail. I got lots of uh, fun stuff up there, you know, quads and, you know, I got my welder and whatever. I just get lost in things, and I love it. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, hunting deer, turkey, uh, stuff that we eat. You hunt it all up in the ranch. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's such a beautiful thing, man. I remember hearing about Neil Young's place, that he's got some giant ranch up there, and Neil yeah. Young just goes and chills out. And apparently he has speakers set up around a lake where mm-hmm. he can be on a boat and push the boat out into the middle of the lake, and the speakers will broadcast. It's perfectly <laughs> set up. Because, you know, he's a serious audiophile. Absolutely. Did you, you ever see his MP3 thing that he created? Mm-hmm. It didn't really catch catch oh, on no. yeah it didn't really catch on for some reason because people are just so attached to listen to music on their phones now but right. it's, a, it's an amazing little device mm-hmm. and it just to, to to really put that much effort and intention into something that's you know not really necessary in the modern world just shows right. you what a serious audiophile that guy is yeah he loves it he loves music he loves the you know, nature as well and i've been up to his ranch it's really cool we played the neil young uh, bridge school benefit like three times and he invites people out there to the ranch. It's beautiful. Yeah, he has buffalo out there. And wow. Yeah. yeah seeing wow. buffalo. How many acres like, does he have out there? A lot. A lot. <laughs> it's I like 10,000 or something, I remember. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, beautiful, you know. Yeah, I mean, for a guy like you that is, exp- I mean, think, I think you found like this really amazing and enviable balance between mm. the arena shows and yeah, all the fucking craziness of rock and then chirp 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 <laughs> you know like you've kind of <laughs> like ouch ouch fucker slap I mean, it's, it's really kind of cool man like you've i mean and also like being sober like you've kind of like found this interesting piece yeah yeah slowly i'm not there yet but you know it uh, more will be revealed you know it's a it's a you know it's a journey and i i once i realize that it's just a journey I'm okay with it, you know. Um, someone on a, another interview was just asking me, hey, you know, back in the early days, you guys released an album almost every year, you know. You've got like five, you know, five albums in six years or something, and what happened? You know, it was eight years since the last one. It's like, dude, there's a lot more life to do, you know. <laughs> there's a lot, you know. Vacations with families, watching my kids grow up, um, uh, you know, touring a lot longer than it used to be. You know, shit, back in those days, we had this many songs and this is how many gigs we can do. And then we're back in the studio. So a lot is happening in life. And uh, everyone in the band is 
on the same page, which is really a great thing. Um, we've all got kids. We've all got other lives. But we can't live without Metallica, man. <laughs> it's just something that joins us. You know, we're these friggin' four married guys that know more about each other than anyone knows about us. Maybe our wives. But, you know, the fact, you know, Lars and I have known each other for 35 years. Wow. Even maybe 36. But I tell you that I don't, I there's nobody else I've known longer uh, except for maybe family than Lars. So... It's a brother, you know, he's a brother. I hate him, I love him, I want to kill him, I want to hug him, all that all that stuff, man. Well, it's also you, I mean, I, I, I got to imagine that you, you guys have to realize what an unbelievably fortunate and amazing experience you guys are on. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people have a dream when they're kids of being a fucking rock star? How many people get to be in Metallica? It's crazy, dude. I, I wake up every day and think, I'm freaking blessed. I mean, this is unbelievable. What? If I complain once today, punch me in the face, you know? Because it's stupid, you know? Exactly. This is stupid yeah. that I would complain about something. Um, but I tell you, it is hard at times <laughs> being on the road doing stuff. And when you don't want to do stuff, you do it. But then you find something, you find someone, you find a thing, and it's usually someone in the crowd that's just, you know, I see myself right there. It's like, I'm that kid right there at the Motorhead concert looking up at Lemmy going, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> and so I just suck that energy and go, all right, this is, uh, this is all I need. This is all I need right now. That's beautiful. Dude, that was a hard one, right? When Lenny Lemmy died, mm, yeah. Because <sighs> Lemmy went hard to the end, no doubt. He really did. He fucking wore the brakes out, wore the tires <laughs> out, fucking screeched right into the rocks. Boom! Oh my god, yeah. And he didn't want anyone to know that he was really that sick, and he just kept going. And God, that's what he knew, and it's what he loved, and it's what he was. And you know, for me, I thought the man was immortal. You know. He was just this icon of a figure. Uh, the, you know, he was the godfather of heavy music for us. And without him, there certainly wouldn't be a Metallica. Certainly wouldn't. He was the he was the catalyst for Lars and I, you know, getting together. You know, that ad in the paper. You know, we like bands like Motorhead. It's like, hey, somebody else likes Motorhead. All right ads in the paper isn't yeah. that crazy when you stop and think about that that's how you got back that's how you guys got together back then yep that's how you found band members ads in the paper looking for a drummer yeah do It'll you go like straight, motorhead straight to the h <laughs> section you know all the 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 you know the the uh uh the the classifieds you know pass up all the stuff and just go right to h where it said heavy metal like well there's my ad and there's his we should meet. <laughs> There's only two of us. <laughs> well, you guys have been through such a, a, a fascinating change in music, too, because, I mean, obviously, Lars was a huge figure in the controversy surrounding MP3s. Mm, you yeah. Know? And that was like during the Napster days. That was the time where everybody realized, like, holy shit, something just happened. Mm. You know, and I don't think we realized it back then. I think Lars, in a lot of ways, was one of the first people sounding the horn. He right. was one of the first people going, hey, 
all this selling record shit is going to go away. Like, mm-hmm. do you understand what's going on here? People yep. are just taking things and putting them online. And this was a totally new thing. Absolutely. And that poor guy still, you know, he's taking bullets. He's taking <laughs> hits for it still. Still? Uh, really? Where? Oh, everyone who's got a beef with any other thing than, uh, you know, Napster, they it just gravitates towards that all the time. That poor guy, yeah, he, he got beat up by that, and we all stood behind him. Obviously, he was the spokesman for it. He, 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 chose, he chose to do that. Management said, hey, this is coming. This is coming. Let's be the ones that stand up for artists. And he took that. He, he grabbed the flag and said, I'm going. And there were lots of other musicians and people that were on board as well but they weren't as vocal or taking the hits like he did. There was something about, you know, even like a Dr. Dre, he was on board with it. But for some reason in the rap world, it's like, well, it's all about money anyway. So, so what, you know, for heavy metal, there was some kind of stigma around, you know, you're, you're an asshole if you're rich or if you've been successful or something, it's like, we got to pull you down into hell with us. You know, don't, don't be getting good now, you know? Yeah. So there was that stigma, but there were other artists that would show up at shows saying, Hey man, I'm really glad you're doing what you're doing. It's like, come on, you know, join us. Oh no, I can't. (laughs) Oh oh, no. My career would be over. It's like, you fuck, you know, it's so frustrating. It's like, dude, do you believe in it? Yeah. Then stand up. It's like, yeah, but no, it will fall apart. Something will happen. My fans, blah, blah, blah. So they they were concerned about their own careers and not the big picture of artists. And obviously these days you can see there's no copyright laws. There's no nothing, man. You can rip this and that and whatever and do whatever you want with it. There's a beauty to that and a lot of creativity comes out of it. But it, it gets watered down. It gets, you know, I don't know. We... We acknowledge that, yeah, there's an inspiration somewhere for everything, but blatantly taking that and using it is, is pretty frustrating to me. Um, and we're, we're, we were at that point where we were, we had uh, a, such a following, we had such a strength in Metallica that we survived all of that stuff. Um, but there was a lot of bands that didn't, you know, uh, they couldn't sustain themselves, couldn't feed their families because of what happened and I think the frustrating part was no one really understood that music is our life you know if you take that if you take our like the way we want to present our music is part of the art like in in an album meaning like one song leads to the next song leaning well like releasing an album mm-hmm. here's how we'd like to release it right we don't want it leaked over here we don't want this happening we don't right you know a present a presentation is part of the art like when you walk into an art studio the artist has been in there putting it together like okay i want you to see this first and then that and then you go here and you get bam you know that there's a passion behind that and when someone just throws it out there <laughs> And, and it's just, it kind of loses, uh, loses an impact. Um, so if I'm complaining, punch me in the face, (laughs) but 
we have survived and we feel good about it and we've adapted, but the record company certainly did not. You know? No, they took a, a hard hit. No. But also, you know, when you look at the record deals, the deals that record companies make with artists, and you see, like, what, what are record companies selling? Well, they're only selling your work. Without your work, without your creativity, without your creations, there's nothing to sell. That's all they sell. But then you look at these ins insanely one-sided deals that they cut with artists, especially mm -hmm. emerging artists. They might be a little bit more desperate, don't realize the potential, especially the potential for income that they might have in the future. I mean, I've seen some of those. I don't know. There was that one that somebody said that Courtney Love didn't really write it, that it was ghostwritten. I don't know who the fuck wrote it. But Courtney Love put it out saying that she wrote it. But it was a breakdown of how artists make money. From the creation of an art, or the creation of an album to having it sold in record stores to where the money gets extracted and how much is left for the actual artist, it's pretty fucking mm. disturbing. Yeah, even uh, well, you know, a couple of years ago, we we got the rights to our catalog, our our music from Kill 'Em All up till now. We own it finally, which is weird. I tell my kids, hey, you know, let's go celebrate. We've got we got the master recordings. We own it finally. And they were just looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you wrote it. Why isn't it yours? Right. Okay. Well, I had a little talk about how it was back then. You know, you would somewhat sell a little bit of your soul to get a bigger something. You know, it was basically the record company was a bank and a marketing tool to get you where you wanted to be. So... Uh, you know, it was a necessary thing at that time, but it's great to have our stuff back and be able to, you know, we own our own record press. How cool is that? Whoa. In Germany, uh, one of our management people found uh, a place that had some machines that were for sale and we, we bought one. And so we press our own vinyl, man. Wow. And cool. we could kind of do whatever <laughs> we want. What color vinyl today, you know, or what crazy things you can do, you know? Uh, you guys uh, can kind of do whatever the fuck you want now, right? Pretty much. You don't need a record company. You no. can do anything. Well, it depends. Uh, we have a record company. We own our own in America uh, or North America. The rest of the world's a little tougher. Mm. You know, there's a lot of countries out there, especially yeah. in Europe, and there's no way we can deal with the distribution in each different country. So... We've cut really good deals with, with other record companies that have a vision and have a love for Metallica and understand that this is powerful stuff and people love it and we want to be part of the family. Um, but having your own record press is a pretty darn cool thing. Uh, it was really inspired by Jack White, uh, who, uh, you know, White Stripes fame, you know, Rock on Tears. He's done a lot of stuff, but he he loves that stuff. He's pressing his own stuff. He's coming up with different ways of doing vinyls and colors and hidden tracks and cool stuff like that. And it's it's just another way to get creative in in your career. Is vinyl what's selling more than anything now when it comes to actual physical hard copies of things? I don't know the numbers, and they probably vary all over the place, but vinyl has never gone away. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's coming back, but it's more popular than it was. I think there's just something tactile about it. There's something great that people are finally understanding that you can look at artwork, you can feel it, and then the, 
the the ritualization of opening up the player, taking it out and blowing on it, cleaning it, putting it down, setting the needle down and it's that's something really cool. I just I came down to LA a few months ago and hung out with some high school buddies. It's like, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, let's listen to some songs. And he takes out the Kansas, you know, album, puts it on and carry on away with song. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, dude, this sounds so great. Wow. Uh, yeah, and we were actually listening to music, sitting down listening to it. My kids got into vinyl. They got a, you know, like at Urban Outfitter, you buy the little you know, the setup now, and that's where they that's where you can get vinyl. It's it's there. There are some record stores out there, but that's where they gravitate towards. Got them this little player, and uh, they just picked out some album covers. They didn't even know who they were. It's like this cow, this cover looks cool. This speaks to me. I'm buying this. I remember you know? doing that kind of thing. Oh, Finding yeah. a cool cover. Yep. That's how I discovered tons of bands. So they go into their room and you know, I leave them alone for a while and they come back. They haven't come out. It's like, what's going on? I look in there. They're, you know, the record players on the floor, covers and stuff strewn out all over the place, and they're laying on the floor listening to it. It's like that is what that was me, you know. Uh and my, my daughter comes out. She said, Dad, you'll never guess what. Like, what? There's songs on the other side. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's not a CD, you know. <laughs> it's like she discovered some huge thing, you know. <laughs> wow. Well, that was one of the things that was not, what is this? Vinyl sales outperformed digital downloads for the first time. Nice. Wow. Shows a significant shift in how people are consuming music. That's really interesting, man. I tell you, that's just cool uh, uh, in general. Uh, yeah. The more ways you can get music to people, uh, the better. Well, I think the other thing that you were saying is it's like it's a whole presentation, the album cover. You open it up, the inside, the artwork, all that represents your vision of what you guys are trying to put out. And that was one of the things that kind of went away with digital. Like all of a sudden, there were no album covers. So the CD was that big. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't really, there wasn't, you know, it's like a tiny little piece of art. Yeah. And if you're downloading it, you're not even getting that. You're just, you're right. just getting the music itself. That's it. Well, uh, you, will, you would get, you know, downloadable artwork, but you're not really looking at the artwork while you're listening to it on your mobile device. Right. You know? So, you know, the event of sitting down and, and, and disappearing into the music. You know, being a real music listener, not, I mean, while you're driving, I get it. It's, it's keeping you from killing people on the road. But when you go home and you sit and you just get lost in stuff, even um, like those, the cheap friggin' headphones, man, the little earbuds, my kids were listening to stuff on that. It's like, you guys haven't experienced music, like good sound. Here, try these headphones on. They're like, whoa. I hear stuff I didn't hear before. and uh, But just seeing my kids get excited about going to a live concert, you know, they go there and they absorb it in, like, every sense. You're not just he having your ears hear something. Uh, and that will never be, I, I don't know, maybe the friggin' goggles or some kind of... Uh, audiovisual stuff will reproduce live shows but there's something about being next to a sweaty fucker at a gig and <laughs> you know them pushing you or uh you know seeing someone headbang wildly or getting thrown over the top of you and 
there's just so much smells, things like that, that just can't be recreated. So live music, my daughter just like, I can't believe that guy just pressed a button on his computer and he's singing over his own music. That's not performing, you know. She discovered that on her own. Hey, these guys are actually playing their instruments. And they fucked up. They <laughs> fucked up a song. It was so cool. You know, I saw something that I wouldn't have, you know, really cool like that. Yeah, the lip syncing thing, man. That When you go to see a concert and you find out that people are lip syncing, that's so disturbing. It's just, yeah. what what have you done? What, the, this is, what is the point of this? this? It is disappointing. What is live performance? Live performance is supposed to be your experience in this thing actually happening you're watching this person express themselves right. they're, they're not they're not pretending you're not supposed to be pretending right are you pretending you're you Whoa. you should be able to get that's your fucking weird. money back because you're not yeah. that's not that's not that's pretending that's not singing i've gone to see plenty of shows with my kids and you can tell it's like all right it the mic's way over here and they're yeah. still singing and it's like, well, they have to have the backing tracks because they're, they're, they're dancing and they're out of breath. It's like, well, fucking stop dancing and <laughs> do the song. I mean, are you a dancer or are you a musician or, or a singer or whatever? Or up your fucking cardio. You know, start running hills. <laughs> it can be done. There you go. Yeah, Come to Vale and, and run up the 14er. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it can be done. But I've seen shows where there's that going on, and then they'll get real. You know, like sit down on a couch, plug in an acoustic, and, and sing out a key and like really try and struggle with the song or sing it, you know, it's like, that's natural. That feels good. Who would not gravitate towards that? Yeah. Than listening to the album. I can listen to the album at home. Yeah. You know? That's why it's cool to just see an acoustic set sometimes from people. Mm -hmm. You know, just like it's as minimal as possible. You're breaking it down to the bare bones, just a guitar and two people singing or something, you know? Yeah, that is pretty intimidating. I tell you, when we do like that Neil Young benefit, where it's you know acoustic only, and if you're you're friggin' na naked up there, dude, you know, <laughs> every note is like, you know, and every fuck up on the vocal, it's it's great. I mean, it's like when uh, you know you go or you're gonna be on a TV thing and they put makeup on you. It's like, why are you doing that? Right. You know? Exactly. Uh, so when people see me in person, they think, damn, you're one ugly fucker. Man. <laughs> it's like, no, I want to be as ugly as possible to everyone. So when they see me, they go, hey, it's you. you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're not airbrushed. Right. Yeah, you see a Photoshop of yourself and it's like, you know, they smoothed out all your lines. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing? What Sometimes, have you done to me? Sometimes you got to do it or like. You know, if you're in a band like I am, and the three guys get the stuff put on, and then I show up, it's like, <laughs> dude, oh my god, I, you're shiny. <laughs> exactly. It's like people are gonna go, fuck this band. That dude's sweating. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. When it comes to the Napster thing and what what happened with Lars, I feel like there's two different things. There's something. There's what's really happening, and there's how people look at it. And what's really happening was like all of a sudden this door got opened up or this Pandora's box got opened. Right. And you guys were looking at it going, well, this is, uh, we're going to lose our record sales. Like, do you, do you understand that like people have been consuming music in a certain way? You've been paying for music, and that paying for music has supported all these people that are a part of this industry that makes albums. There's this gigantic thing behind it. This is all going to go away because you just put a hole in the bottom of it and all the money's going to get dropped out. Mm hmm. 
but then the way it looks is look at this rich motherfucker you know he doesn't he doesn't appreciate his fans hey man i can't afford your album right now is it okay if i just download it for free and a lot of people thought well hey people who can afford it will still be downloading it and then they'll buy it when they can but that wasn't really the case was it no i don't know i you know i'm all for convenience in the technology moving forward getting music out to people is right. the important part but just make sure the artist gets what they deserve from it because without that it's going to become a hobby no one wants you know i don't want to see the paramedic show up at my house and it's like a hobby for him <laughs> hey you know right. i'm not really getting paid for what i <clears throat> think i should get paid for my creation but i guess i'll save your life you know maybe uh people didn't relate that to their their career or something uh equivalent you well know? i think because the money wasn't equivalent they looked at you guys like you guys are already so rich what do you give a shit there's no way you're going to be broke you guys made millions and millions and millions of dollars you tour all over the world and it became the touring thing was the way artists made money then right Touring and merchandise, and that's now how record companies are structuring their deals. You know, hey, we get a piece of your merch and and touring. See, that's bizarre, though. Yeah, the record companies no getting a piece of your touring, to me, is very strange. And yeah. I've seen not just a piece, but an exorbitant amount. Mm -hmm. And th that disturbs me. Well, that's the only way they can survive now. And they you shouldn't know? be around then, because well. then you become a parasite, because you don't deserve right. it. I mean, especially now where bands can literally become gigantic because of YouTube. Mm -hmm. I mean, didn't Justin Bieber become huge just entirely because of YouTube? Right. Jamie knows. Look at him. He's a fucking Justin Bieber fan. He hides it. Hey, me too. <laughs> <laughs> First I heard him sing, I thought it was a girl. I didn't even know it was a... I didn't know. <laughs> well, I tell you, the the whole, uh, you know, would you would you go up to the artist and take that out of his pocket? You know, would you go into a record store and just lift that, right. steal it, run out the door with it, you know? Would you do that with, you know, okay, there's, you know, there's there's big corporations that are rich, and would you go walk in and just steal their stuff? I mean, there's software companies that are massive. Would you go in there and just rip their stuff? I don't get that mentality. I don't, call me old school, but you, you, you need to earn what you get. And if it gets stolen from you, it doesn't make any sense. It's, a, it's hard to fathom. And... What it seems like to me, and I, I could be talking out my ass, but the record companies dropped the ball, and the new record companies became iTunes. Mm. They control it all. Here's how much we're charging for your music, and here's how much <clears throat> you're going to get. Everyone's even. It's like some communist approach, you know? And I, I don't understand. I don't understand that. If we're an artist and we make a lot of money, that's up to us. If we give all our money away to charity or we throw it back into a movie that bombs, which happened, um, that's our choice. We're the fucking artist. We get to do what we want. It's our party. You're invited. And we can destroy this thing if we want. I don't want you to destroy it. Yeah, the iTunes distribution model is a very bizarre one. Mm -hmm. It's very strange how they've sort They of don't know what they're doing. No one knows what they're doing. And, you know, there was a system that worked. And I'm up for bucking the system and making it better, but it didn't. It didn't get better. It's like the like you said, the cat got out of the bag, and you can't put it back in, man. You just can't. Um, 
So what do you do? Well, you got Spotify or you got something else where streaming's going to help get the artists their money. And it's, it's um, you know, companies like that are losing money a lot. And Spotify? I don't, I don't. I don't know the exact workings, and I'm not going to speak for them at all, but it hasn't been figured out yet is what I'm saying. It hasn't been figured out how to make a music model work, and there's no one way. Maybe there will never be one way again, and that's fine, but it's still unbalanced. Well, this technology continues to evolve and change. It's sort of in a lot of ways like Twitter. Like how many millions and hundreds of millions of people use Twitter, but they can't figure out a way to make money with it. Mm-hmm. It's this very strange thing where people just want to use stuff. They don't want to give you any money. So you have to figure out some way to extract money from all these people using stuff. And if you have a streaming service, you know, and it's free, it's a free streaming service. Mm-hmm. And I, I see some of the fees that they pay artists for music that's been played millions of times. Like, wasn't what was that one song? I forget who it was. Like the most played song on Spotify, and then they have the numbers that the guy got for that actual song. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, where the fuck is the money going then? Right. Like what? Well, you know, I we're talking a lot about money here. There it is. Pharrell made oh, right. two. Oh, these fucking ads. This is what's wrong with America. <laughs> Looks like you're using an ad blocker. Yeah, I'm using an ad blocker to stop this, you fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How to display. Here it goes. Pharrell made only $2,700,000 in songwriting royalties from 43 million plays yeah. of his song that I can't look at the ad because the fucking ad blocker. <laughs> what, what, yeah. what, what is that Business Insider? Hey, fuck you, business insider. And you, you, if you either, <laughs> God damn it, you can't have ads just pop up, you cunt. Those are gross. Uh, it's frustrating. That's another thing, but that's another thing. But they're, that's how they're, they're making trying money. trying to figure out a way because nobody wants to buy magazines anymore. Right. Well, that's how they're making money, not Pharrell. 43 uh, million plays of Happy. 2,000 bucks. <laughs> that's Yikes. Fucking, that's fucking crazy. That's a plane ticket. Yeah. For well, 43 yeah. million, I mean, it's nuts. We talk a lot about money, but it's not. I mean, it's not about the money, and it doesn't. It shouldn't be anybody's freaking business how much you make, how much he makes. I mean, if you want to reveal it, fine. But why is there such a stigma around being successful? I don't understand that. People will just want to rip you, rip you for it. You well, know? there's a disingenuous idea that, or uh, the disingenuous approach to art. If you're just doing art to make money. And that's what people hate. People mm-hmm. like, one of the things that I loved about your new album is it's totally clear, 100%, that this is a real Metallica album. This isn't just some, hey, man, we need to make some money. Let's slap together some shitty ideas and make a Metallica album out of it, and we know how to do it. Mm-hmm. No, it's a fucking Metallica album. Yep. You know, And that's because you're creating your art. You're not necessarily doing it saying, hey, if we do this, we should be able to make money. And that's, I think when people think that someone's just trying to make money it drives them crazy because mm-hmm. they someone people know in their head that that's not how great art is created that you might have the money might be a consequence of great art but it's not you don't say let's make a movie that makes a hundred million dollars this is going to be awesome no the fuck it's not that's going to be a bunch of <laughs> shitty cgi and explosions and a hot girl and the guy and the girl kiss at the end and fuck you i saw it all coming it's been done before yeah it's been done before because you're just slapping together a formula and that stuff drives people nuts when right. you know that someone is doing something just for money so whenever money gets discussed 
people automatically get that sort of weird distaste, like, oh, it's money. That mm. fucking money's ruining everything. They're going to be doing <laughs> ballads on some teenage angst fucking movie next. Right. right. Fuck. Right. Well, yeah. that's not hardwired. No. That's for sure. <laughs> No, no, we're no. still, we're still, we're man, we're we're still searching for you're it. Still doing it. Still searching for the right, the best, the ultimate riff. Yeah, you know? well, you're still <laughs> doing it. That's that's what's most important. You're still doing it, and it can be done. I think when we were kids, there weren't old rockers. You know, hmm. I'm 49. How old are you? 53. When we were kids. Who the fuck was an old rocker? You know Jerry Lee Lewis is pretty old. He's still out there doing it. <laughs> Chuck Berry's still touring. Holy shit, you yeah. know? But now, you got fucking Mick Jagger's going crazy on stage. He's fucking 70. <laughs> He's still ripped. He just he had does, a kid. He had a fucking kid. How is that possible? <laughs> the last sperm, the fucking last survivor with, with a one-eyed sperm with a fucking axe wound across his face, marches through the battlefield and punches <laughs> through that egg. I made it. Yeah, I... man. Goddamn pirate cum. <laughs> But I mean, that guy's still out there smashing it. Right. Like I've seen him. Right. His fucking concerts are rocking. He's got yep. energy. Not only him, but it, one person. We get compared to the Stones. Like, how long are you going to do this? Is the question. Right. You know? Right. Right. I don't know. I don't. When it's if it's still fun, we're going to do it. When right. it's not fun, then we'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mick Jagger, the Stones, Mick Jagger for sure. He's out there. He's doing his thing. He's he's all over the place. You know, the Stones music-wise uh and the rest of the band, you know, they're 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 doing what they've always done, but it's not the physicality like say Metallica has. So, right. you know, you know, uh you know, Charlie Watts is not Lars Ulrich, you know. <clears throat> like fuck, 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 you know. Right. You know, at some point your body's saying "Oh boy, we can't do this in, for this long anymore. Let's take a break." Uh, so keeping yourself healthy and phys in a physical, mental, and spiritual sense, you got to do all that for sanity's sake. And other bands that are out there that are doing it, that uh, Angus Young is probably the guy where I definitely take my hat off for. That dude is insane, and I don't know, he must sweat gallons every show, and he's you know he's like the the size. You know, he's like a, a little dude. He is an elf. <laughs> and he's out. Where's that water coming from? Where, um, how can you sweat? You sweat oh. your body weight, you know? And he's out there headbanging and rocking. I mean, and he's he's up there in age, too. So that's the person we're kind of, uh, I guess, seeing. How, how long can this guy go? <laughs> <laughs> he's the canary in the coal mine. He is, man. Yeah, but yeah. also, how does he not have fucking brain damage from all that headbanging? Like well, soccer players are getting he brain dead. He, he might, but he might not give a fuck. Like that's right. the price you pay. Yeah, take some vitamins. Get back out there, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Out of the big four, uh, if you know the big four, Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, these four bands that are still going, and unbelievably after 35 years, myself. Dave Mustaine and Tom Araya have all had neck surgery <laughs> from all of this. You had neck surgery? Yeah. What kind yeah. of neck surgery? Uh, it was a partial discectomy in uh, like C, I think C six. Okay, so you had a yeah. bulging disc. It was pressing on your nerve. Was Pressed it? on my yeah, my nerve ulnar going nerve? down my arm. I couldn't pick my the arm up. The nerve, so it was like making your hands numb. Yeah. Well, <clears> I couldn't pick my arm up. Did you ever do decompression? 
like a spinal decompression decompression chamber no spinal decompression like you, you they put a harness on your neck and they stretch oh, your neck yeah, out uh-huh. do they do that yeah do you have one of those at home i don't you need to get one of those it's gigantic it's so simple it's just a harness that you put on it straps velcro around it it connects to a door the top of a door and you just sit down on a chair and it's like you're hanging yourself you pull it click click <laughs> like this and it just stretches it like carries your weight a little bit on your neck you're still sitting you could totally that's it right there see it up in that screen <clears throat> I have one of those in my house. It's fucking invaluable. It's so giant because it's the only way to like legitimately stretch your neck and a lot of uh, spinal decompression, a lot of bulging right. discs and uh, the pain and uh, discomfort associated with it. You can uh, mitigate a lot of that with one of those things. It's big. I don't have to wear that yeah. shirt, right? No, you can wear whatever you want. Okay. You go naked. I got another thing I'm going to show you that's called the iron neck that'll strengthen your neck up. We it's, were looking at that. Yeah. It's, huh? I'll show you how to do it. This guy okay. just brought it in last week. Huh? I, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. It's fucking amazing. And it's also good. It's not like difficult to do. It's pretty easy to do. But it's also good for not just strengthening your neck, but increasing your range of motion. Hey, great. But I can imagine that all the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, after a while, man. Yeah, not just that, but just the posture of your mm-hmm. guitar. You know, right. it's, you know, you're playing really low and you're down and you're back. You know, there's posture stuff, but I, I agree that making 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 it straight, making your back straight is harder now than it was. You know, <laughs> leaning against the wall and thinking, wow, I don't want to be that old dude, you know, right. who's hunched over the middle of his back is like a friggin', you know, like the uh you know hunchback notre dame or something it creeps in on you you don't even realize it's happening until right. it's too late and then you can't straighten it back up again right do you exercise yeah what yeah. do you do i got a physical trainer in vale uh basically keeping range of motion going core uh you know lots of hiking treadmill stuff like that um not so much you know power you know bulking up or anything but just trying to stay mobile i've got uh and i'm sure everyone at my age has some of it it's a you know a, a spinal stenosis where there's you know calcium and you know kind of arthritic arthritic buildup around the nerve uh, around your spinal cord mm-hmm. so keeping that mobile keeping things moving i go to a like holistic healer too who who's breaking up calcium on on fingers and toes and stuff and uh, I'm doing all I can, <laughs> doing all I can to get up there and be Angus Young still. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're experiencing issues with stenosis too, um, that that machine can help that a lot, strengthen your your whole spinal cord. And I got another thing in the back I want to show you. It's called the Reverse Hyper. It actually, uh, this is it right here. It actually helps decompress your body. Um, it decompresses your spinal column and strengthens it at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's created by that, that, see that guy with the black shirt? That guy's a fucking psychopath. His name's Louis Simmons. Great guy. <laughs> we interviewed him uh, for the podcast. He's completely out of his fucking mind. He's been on steroids straight since 1976. He's never gone off of them. <laughs> like, well, he's, he's pointing at that lady like something's happening. He's, <laughs> fuck, well, he's explaining <laughs> yeah. what it does to your back. But uh, that machine, man, anybody with back issues, any back issue at all, because what that machine does is it allows your back to actively decompress from the lower back all the way up to your um, to, to your neck area, and uh, it, it strengthens everything and decompresses it. So it lengthens your spine. Yeah. It, it it stretches all that tissue out and and pulls all that all the the fascia and all that stuff out. Like you you can see him uh, like demonstrating it here when this woman gets up there. See as it goes down, it's actually pulling your back. 
And that's like the only exercise that I've ever seen that decompresses and then on the lift up strengthens all those muscles and then on the way down it pulls them down. Mm. I have a bunch of different things in the back because I've had some disc issues myself, but I took care of all of them without surgery. Right and, on. But it wasn't the doctors are trying to cut me. Like right. they that's their immediate thing. Like, up, oh, you're gonna need surgery, get in there. Well, probably eventually you're gonna have to have your discs uh, fused. And I was like, What? Like, wait a minute, I'm moving around fine. Like, why how come how come you guarantee that it's going to get worse? Like, why is it that when you're one at one state, they never think, well, you can improve this with physical therapy and it can get better? Their yeah. immediate reaction is it's going to get worse, so count on getting th surgery. Oh, that's what they know, and that's what yeah. they're schooled on. And uh, I love the fact that you're giving them the finger and say, hey, no, I don't have to go down that path. I'm going to try it this way. And uh, there are lots of different ways to do that. And uh, unfortunately, mine was... It was touching the nerve, and I couldn't lift my arm, and there was atrophy happening, and mm. so something had to happen. Um, but my back, yeah, I've gone on to, I've had like, you know, uh, ruptured discs, uh, broken ribs, <laughs> gone on tour, you know, singing with two broken ribs, not fun. Uh, but yeah, the back, man, when it when it hurts you turn into a fucking baby, man. I just like, eh. I know, right? You could have like a, a torn calf muscle and you limp around, but you right. seem to be okay. But your back, you're like, eh. I can't do anything. My life's over. Yeah. Uh, but all right, we'll go see your your torture chamber or your, your racks. Machine. Do you do yoga at all? No. Oh, no. That's you got to do. You got to get involved. Yeah. It seems okay. like, it seems fucking, seems like everything wrong. Like housewife bullshit. Maybe gay, dude. I don't care about Do any of that crap. If it's gonna help me, <laughs> it will. I'm I'm into it. You I know? think anybody over forty, in particular, yoga is gigantic. Especially, yeah, cool. Well, I, I mean, I've done things where you know, okay, we're gonna ask your body some questions, and here, put this statement against your chest, or here, what wear these it? colored Wait, glasses, and you know, <laughs> here's tuning forks on your body, you know, oh, uh, things man. like that. I'm, you know, I'm totally, I'm an explorer. I'd like to. And if it works, cool. If it doesn't work, hey, I tried it. What was the question you had to ask your body? You wrote it down on a piece of paper and put it to your chest? Yeah. What was the question? <laughs> Am, uh, Am I retarded? <laughs> Never go full retard. <laughs> Look at champagne. Full retard. <laughs> no, didn't work. Right. Uh, I don't know what the question was. Like, why am I, why am I doing this? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, why am I writing a piece of paper yeah. and putting it on my chest? Uh, something like, you know, am I willing to get healthy? Something like oh. that. You know, us, uh, uh, I'd like to be friends with my body instead of abusing it, you know? Mm. <clears throat> Stuff like that. So, Well, the intensity yeah. of your performances. I mean, I just can only imagine the, the physical strain that it puts on your body. I, that's why I wanted to ask you about fitness. Like, you kind of have to be in shape to do Metallica concerts at 30. Forget about it, 53. Yeah. Well, we have, we have PT on the road, uh, 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 a therapist who will stretch us out, do, you know, we're all different, you know, my back, my neck, Robert's calves, you know, he's this friggin', yeah, it's like, uh, uh, he's like, uh, he's, he's friggin' Tarzan, that guy, he gets way down, you know, his surfer calves and mm -hmm. finger or his forearms from playing, you know, with oh, his fingers, okay. they cramp up. So, uh, and then Lars's shoulder or, or this one, you know, high hat. Right. Um, so we've all got our thing, Kirk's wrists and this guy's out there helping us and, you know, he'll, he'll give us things to try and work on and, um, 
you know, we all we all have to have our regiments out here. It's like you take apart a part of home on the road. You know, it's not like I need my uh, I need my hotel room decorated like my house. You know, bring my bed on tour and all. <laughs> not that, but it's people that can help me out on the road. You know, some people do go crazy like that, right? They do. Some rock they stars. Do. Yeah, I want you to recreate that. Uh, and I've heard stories, and it's kind of funny. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't want to continue a rumor, but just hearing that, yeah, some of the guys in the Stones will have their decorator come in, and and they've decorated their hotel room like their home or something, put their favorite things in there and all that, and then they're there for a night, and then they go off to the next place, you know? And the decorator meets them in advance and sets it up at the next spot, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess if you're fucking Mick Jagger, whatever, (laughs) do whatever the hell you want. You're you're 90,000 years old. You're still getting chicks pregnant. Hey. What kind of reality does that guy live in? Who am I to say it's wrong, man? You know? Yeah. Uh, you do what you want and, and feel good about it when you go to bed and wake up and go, okay, I'm all right. You know? That's the main thing. You know? If I've gone to bed and say, man, that was stupid or actually, yeah, the other day I did something pretty stupid that I got to call this guy and tell him, but we were doing this, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, the guy Billy on the street. You know that? Billy on the street, what's that? Yeah, he, uh, Billy Eichel, I think his name is, and he just, you know, he's on the street, just running up to people. Oh, okay, uh, like a yeah. show. Hey, yeah, like quiz shows. You're like, right. yeah, what's the name of Adele's album? No, you suck, and then run off to the next person. You know, really manic, kind of crazy stuff. We did that in a store with him the other day. We went shopping at a supermarket, and uh, in a uh, in a shopping cart. Metallic's pushing his shopping cart around. He's running up to people going, hey, what are you buying today? What, uh, oh, you're making a salad? Hey, do you want to get pumped up while you're shopping? We got Metallica here to pump you up. <laughs> so we uh, we press the play button and Sandman's playing. We're like, yeah, come on. And we're, uh, you know, we're supermarket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're filling up their cart with stuff they don't need. And they're like, ah, fuck. And uh, uh, this one guy, oh, this one guy was at the salad bar, and he looked like he just took a break from work. You know, it was on his lunch break, and I start filling up his salad with peas and all kinds of stuff, and we're throwing salad all over the place. And uh, uh, I turned around to grab some more stuff. Lars had put dressing on his salad. I didn't know that. So at the end, when we took off, I just. <laughs> I wanted to just throw it in his face. Like, it was a dry salad. And I'm oh, like, oh, God. And the dressing went all over him. He's like, Ugh. you fuckers. Like, oops, that backfired. Okay, we've gone a little too far. You know, I'm 18 again in trashing the hotel room. Okay, we're at the supermarket. Chill out, James, all right? Who organized this fucking thing? Oh, uh, it was par- uh, it's just part of our promo tour thing, you know? Um, and... Uh, we're trying to do funny, do cool, different stuff. You know, some of these shows, they're, you know, they get wacky. And uh, uh, I don't know if you saw the the Metallica playing with the Roots on Jimmy Fallon, playing Sandman on the little... No, I didn't see that. You know, it got little, like, recorders and, you know, little, you know, like, uh, little drum sets. You know, little kids' instruments. That was a lot of fun. So we're getting to, you know, getting to have some fun and kind of not be too serious about all of this you know well that's a, a cool thing to see someone who's as big as you are in, the, in a band that's just a goddamn gigantic monolith epic band but you guys are whoa. silly whoa you guys are pretty goddamn epic all right you know okay. i mean yeah. I, I think you know that well the fact that we can <laughs> here it is give me some volume 
What's the matter? I'll put it in. Little Wong, don't forget my son. The Roots are good, man. They are a great band. Jimmy Fallon is such a silly guy, too. We were having some fun. Definitely yeah. having some fun there. Well, that's that's also a cool thing to see from a, a fucking hard band, too. I mean, you guys don't necessarily take... I mean, you obviously take yourself seriously. You're obviously you're serious about what you do, but Absolutely. you don't take yourself too seriously. You're, well, we're serious about... Your art. Our art. When we write a song, there's an, it's we're serious about this. But when we go out, when we play live, I mean, we're, you know, we're not... We're not the best musicians separately, I would say. Um, and someone might disagree, but when you put us together, something happens, and we create something really cool. There's an energy. And I think back from the very beginning, like when someone fucked up the song, we just stopped. It's like, oh, man, let's try it again. We can do this better. you know. And people said, what the? You're not supposed to do that. Dude, they're not very professional. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's what happened. I mean, we're honest. We want to do it better, and we know we can, so we're going to stop it and do it again, you know? Uh, or, I mean, just like the other day, I had, like, this friggin' brain fart on stage where we're up there, and they play the one, the intro to one, which is, like, this army, you know, all the war going on, and then I start this thing, and... I started the wrong song. I started Fade to Black instead of a different song. <laughs> I'm standing there going, um, what do I do now? And and like this wave of shame comes over you like, you're a bad man, you know? And, <laughs> and I'm looking over my roadie and they're going, not that song. And I look at, it's like, okay, I'll stop it. And then I went to the other song and, and then I'm able later to go up and say, hey, you want to hear Fade to Black again, you know? <laughs> You got to joke about it or else you, you, it's, it's like you become, it's like you got to expose your vulnerable parts. People, people make, will make fun of that and they'll take advantage of it sometimes. But most of the times people will relate to it like, ah, he's human. He fucked up. Okay. You know? So trusting that there's more, there's more lifeguards than sharks out there most of the time. Yeah. You know? I think also there's a people differentiate the big difference between a mistake and someone who's careless or doesn't give a fuck. Very true. Very true. And that's just you guys are obviously very serious about what you do, but everybody occasionally has a brain fart. There's just no getting around it. I've been in the middle of a UFC broadcast and I fucking forget someone's name. And I, I've called their fights a hundred times, and I can't remember why I can't remember the name. And then, for whatever reason, I have to look down at my notes, and there it is, and I'm just angry at myself. Yeah. But it just sometimes it just doesn't work. And there's no rhyme or reason to why your brain doesn't work right sometimes. So you're tough on yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm horrible on myself. Yeah. You, no you say things it. to yourself that you wouldn't even say to your worst enemy. Yeah, I don't, I don't, there's no words. I don't right. just, it's just feelings, just, ugh. You asshole, yeah. you suck. Oh, I could have a show where I, I kill, but I fuck up one word and one joke, and that's all I can think of. Mm. And that's just no way. If you care about what you do, that's just 
part of the program. Absolutely. And that's yeah. a, there's a healthy part to that. And then, like, moving on from it is it's easier now than it used to be. It would just, like, it would live in me for a while. Like, oh, dude, you forgot the words to that song. And then it becomes a mental block. Yeah. Like, you get up there and you go, oh, shit, like a, you know, like a kicker or something, you know. A guy going to kick a field goal is like, oh, I missed that one. I can't believe I did. And then the next one, oh, my God, now it's a thing, you yeah. know. Oh, so you getting over those mental fighters. blocks. Yeah. When fighters lose a fight and then they come back, and yeah. then you can see the the discomfort. You can see the confusion and the fear and that's a that's one of the hard, I think psychological issues are some of the hardest issues that people ever overcome and it's just literally like a pattern of thought in your mind right. if you just decide that you're not as good as you used to be you can manifest that yeah. even though like physically you can do all the same things it is so crazy the power of thought the power of my mind is it's pretty dangerous at times uh, and being creative uh, I make up all kinds of crap <laughs> you know like, oh, Lars is doing that just to fuck with me. I know it. And then you talk with him later. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> he has no yeah. idea what you're what, saying. What? Yeah, that's, that's pretty, it's, it's, it's a curse and a gift, that creativity, you know. How hard was it for you to get sober? Uh, fear was a big motivator in that for me, you know. Losing my family was that was that was the thing that scared me so much. That was the bottom I hit. That my family's going to go away because of my behaviors that I brought home from the road. I got kicked out of the house by my wife. I was living on my own somewhere, and I, you know, I did not want that. And maybe as part of my upbringing, you know, uh, my family kind of disintegrated when I was a kid. You know, father left, mother passed away. I lived with my brother, and then kind of just all. Like the family, you know, where'd my stuff go? Where, where it just kind of floated away. And I do not want that happening. You know, no matter what's going on, we're going to talk this stuff out and make it work. You know, and my wife's of the same, uh, same idea, same thought that, you know, her, her family, she was the invisible kid too, you know? So we relate a lot. So there's no way we're going to let, you know, any argument get in the way or just, you know, we're survivors. We're survivors and we're going to, we're going to talk through it no matter how much. And, you know, she she did the right thing. She kicked my ass right the hell out of the house, you know. And um, that scared the shit out of me. So, and she said, hey, you're not just going to the therapist now. You're just not just talking about this. You got to go somewhere and sort this shit out. So that's what I did. So rehab did, rehab really worked for me. How it, long did you have to go for uh, well, what worked for me was, uh, seven weeks someplace, like basically tearing you down to bones, ripping your life apart, anything you thought about yourself or what it was, anything you thought you had, your family, your career, your anything gone, strip you down to just, okay, you're born. <laughs> Here's how you were when you were born. You were okay. You're a good good person. Let's get back to that again. And then they slowly rebuild you. And then I went to uh, uh, another, they call them aftercare places. I went there uh, to a couple different ones. And they fine-tune stuff and get you integrated back into life. Because when you're in this cocoon and you're, you're friggin' raw. I mean, I was raw meat when I came out. And you can see it in that some kind of monster movie. 
I was pretty raw still. I didn't know what I could or what I should or shouldn't do, you know. Um, so the, the last place we went to was a place that helps relationships. So they got me and my wife together and we'd see people separately and then come together and talk about what we did and communication friggin' saved my life, saved, uh, our family, um, and working through that stuff. So very grateful for my wife. She's the one that didn't ask for this shit. She walked through fire with me and we walked out together stronger, way stronger than we ever would have been before. And you know, my kids know my story. My kids know my struggles and they respect that. They respect me in a different way. I don't have to tell them what to do all the time or just be like, I'm this, it, I can say sorry. I can tell them, hey, here's what happened when I did that. And you know, I don't need to preach to them. They got their own stuff, but now they, now they goof with me. I ruined my trust with my family. And now by some miracle, they are goofing with me. It's like, dad, shut up. What are you, I'm like, come on. You know, you're overblowing this. You're way out of Dad, you're taking up way too much space here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so they help me, and, and I realize that there is help in a loving way. How long have you been sober now? Uh, 15, 15 years. Did it start out when you when you first started doing it? Did it feel like as you broke through and you, 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 know, you went to therapy and you got out of rehab and you, you're, you're going through this whole thing? Was there a, a, like a shaky leg period where you're like, man, I mean, mm -hmm. do I know who I am anymore? Oh, absolutely. That was it. That was, <clears throat> that is, you know, the power of the mind and how, how, you know, here's how my life works. And to actually just completely throw that away and start over. It's like, well, wait a minute. Who am I without this? I'm a, I can't talk to people. I'm, I, I'm anxious. I'm shy. I'm all of the stuff that I thought booze was helping me with or you know you know booze drugs women uh shopping uh eating gambling you know there's so many things that can manifest out there that it's it all goes back to one core thing it's like i don't i don't really know who i am so it took years and years and years to figure out okay i like that that's part of me and this is part of me, the anger, the, 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 the you know, the, the quirkiness, the dork part of me, all these little things that make me, I got to hug them. I got to accept them, you know, and quit running from them and pretending like I am some immovable object on stage that's tough and, you know, nothing can do, you know, nothing can hurt me. But uh, inside, you know, it's kind of a, a, a cliche saying that, you know, the harder that external shield the softer the inside and the more vulnerable and and balancing that, you know? Almost like you're concentrating so much on the hard outside that you ignore the inside. Totally, totally. And then forget what I really want. And then you lose yourself in that other <clears throat> that other person. And yeah, being in a band certainly uh accelerated that. <laughs> you know, there's there was drink and drug and all kinds of stuff just thrown at you all the time and it's starts off as a fun little thing and then it turns into a, an escape and then all of a sudden you don't really you don't remember why you're out there doing stuff i went on tour just so i could go to the strip club you know hey we're going to this place you know and or we're going to drink here and you know knew all that stuff but the actual playing on stage it kind of got 
forgotten about a little bit. You know, it was we get caught up in the rock star stuff. And there's a there's a song on this album called Moth Into Flame that directly talks about the how fame can be this crazy drug and it can completely take you over if you let it. You know, you're searching for that thing that's gonna save you and it's it's you, it's in you, it's already there. You just gotta uh, you just gotta find it and, and accept it. Well, you you're a very down to earth guy, which is very unusual for someone who's as famous as you are, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this is because it seems like like right now you're you, you know, you can be you. You're mm. just and but what it seems like for someone who's as famous as that, who gets on stage, and you know, thousands of people just <laughs> going fucking crazy and you're up there. I mean, that has got to be intoxicating and confusing. And oftentimes I feel like people are a prisoner to whatever image that either they projected initially or it becomes how the public perceives them because of all their success and because of the fact they go on stage and 100,000 people go fucking ape shit. What, uh, what is that like trying to like find yourself while you're also kind of worshipped? Right. Well, Joe, you're, you hit it. I mean, it's the transitions from road to home are always somewhat difficult. It's like there's a, there's a PTSD that goes along with it, you know. You are, like you said, worshipped. You know, there's a lot of, you know, where do I get my validation, really? That's where I have to step back and say, okay, am I who these people say I am or think I am? They have their own vision or version of me, just like I had my own version of Lemmy. You know, this this thing that it was strong. And, you know, these people expect me to be a certain way. And when you when they meet you in normal life, you're sitting with your family eating or you're friggin' in the supermarket, you know, throwing salad on some guy. You're uh, people want you to do the thing you do. You know, hey, headbang, jump up on the salad bar and rock <laughs> out or something. He's like, Dude, music does that to me. Mu playing music with these guys does that to me. But when I'm not doing that, I'm just a dude, you know. And they don't want that. That it, it hurts them. It it scares them. Like, wait a minute. Um, I need you to be this certain way. It makes me feel secure. So when you're not that, I you know, I don't want to sign stuff. I don't want to take pictures, selfies with people. I want to shake your hand and I want to talk with you. I want to hey, who are you? What do you do? Uh, here's what I do. You know, people think they know me because of the music and all the interviews and all the stuff. I get that. But I don't know you. So when you come up and say, dude, la, 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 you know, I want to know you because <laughs> we're at a disadvantage here. <laughs> but if you get swamped by people and they all want to take pictures, how do you how do you handle that? Oh, I, I, I got to leave. I mean, <laughs> there's an anger part of me that I still wrestle with and things get stupid. Uh, and um, it's like it's a fight or flight thing, man. It's like I'm being attacked. Wait a minute, you know. You just get overwhelmed by all the people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just so weird. It's so weird. We're, f we're we played in front of half a million people and half I, a million people. Yeah. And Where was and that? This was in Russia. Holy this was, uh, shit! In the airfield. Uh, oh my god! So we've done that. What the fuck was that like? Um, it was a sea of sea of Russian people. <laughs> I mean, that's what it was. That's insane. This was in 1991. 
91 when the you know the curtain came down and all of that and uh time warner had a uh uh they wanted to basically get their foot in the door and so they were created a free concert uh it was it was uh acdc us pantera and i think maybe a local band or some other bands i'm sorry if i can't remember but they flew us in there we landed in this airfield oh motley crew was on it um landed in this airfield and as far as the eye could see it, I mean, it was a free concert and it was just people and we get on stage and do what we do but there were it was military you know military Jesus in the front Jesus Christ look at that photo holy shit <laughs> holy shit Jamie go full screen with that just go with that one what in the fuck oh my god that's insane is that it is that the one Woo! that might be something else but no, it looks a little newer but it says here it's from 91 Moscow so wow that's uh, yeah pretty remarkable and there were dude imagine the sea of people like that and see there's a helicopter helicopter <laughs> flying over people I oh mean, my god what if that thing goes down man oh. they could be chopping look up all photo, kinds of folks uh, look at that. go right up there that one on stage <laughs> facing those people oh my god that is <laughs> fucking insane and that helicopter would come down close and they were yelling at people like stop you know people were moshing or going crazy they didn't know what that was oh they're like oh wow you they know, thought it was like a fight a freaking communist country man and right. they're like wait a people are getting out of order this is chaos they didn't have the internet then either no way they didn't know what to expect of that so they're they're people throwing you know hitting people from the from the helicopter and down on the front there there were guys in uniforms you know there was you know police military same thing you know so they're standing there in their uniforms and after like three or four songs they're like fuck this and they took off their stuff and, <laughs> and they're out there head banging and having a good time so we saw the transformation of you know uh, a, a closed down society to freedom right before us individually in in people it was awesome wow yeah what does it feel like to stand in front of 500,000 people? What is the sound like? What is the sound of their roars like? Pretty massive. I'm obviously, <laughs> you know, I lost count at, I don't know, God. 300 and something thousand. But I tell you, and they don't speak your language. That's right. just such a, that's the power of music, man. That's a language yeah. in its own. It connects people. It is so cool. So, yeah, we went to a place that no one spoke English or people were telling us, you know, I learned English from your lyrics. Like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> I failed English, just so you know. I didn't do so well in school. But <laughs> wow. It's pretty bizarre. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. That is intense. That's uh, that's an experience that almost no one's prepared for, I don't think. I, th I don't think mm. there's a... A single human being that can do that and not be somewhat affected by it or at least need a lot of decompression <laughs> a lot of downtime to sort of sort that out which right. hence veil yeah yeah it's like you go out into the mountains nature doesn't give a shit who you are mother nature will kick your ass yeah you know and leave you frozen and you know lost <laughs> when did you start hunting <clears throat> Well, I think it started out. My dad was a hunter. I remember him, you know, skinning deers in the in the garage in, in Southern California here. Um, 
skeet shooting probably started with that skeet and trap and then uh uh, went duck hunting with my buddy up in calusa and san francisco area and and then hey we're going on a pig hunt let's go and then so slowly the animal got bigger and bigger (laughs) and uh really really enjoyed it and enjoyed the the you know the guy hang you know just get away and uh, and just you know get scared together you know yeah the guy hangs a big part of it oh, right it's awesome it is so cool yeah making fun of each other and you know all the all the stuff that you don't get to do you know you just you just go and hang and uh yeah i like getting scared i like getting scared out there it's like wait a minute i'm you know i'm 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 i got this you know 60 pound backpack on and i just came from uh, sea level and I'm up here at 11,000 feet, and I don't feel very good, guys. <laughs> How the fuck am I going to get off this mountain? I can't do it. They're like, yeah, you can. Come on. Uh, and we'll carry you off if that's what it takes. It's like, okay. Yeah, but the truck is, you know, it's like a three-hour hike to the to the— a three-hour hike to the spike camp, and then another two hours to the base camp, you know? You can do it, and and stuff like that, you know, pushing you to to limits where you didn't know you could go to. Yeah, I saw you had a guitar that had a Kuyu camo on it. I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, this dude's deep. It's awesome. You're deep. Dude, I love the Kuyu stuff. Yeah, yeah, I got turned on to it by those guys, and yeah, you know, it can get pretty cold and scary up there, and it's, it's fun. It's well, fun. Kuyu represents to me this really interesting sort of uh, integration of technology and uh almost like gadget geek mindset applied to hunting to make the very best stuff yep so as soon as i saw that you you got a, a kuyu pattern on your guitar i'm like oh he's in deep he's yeah in deep. we we contacted him it's like hey can we borrow your pattern you know <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty fucking cool oh uh, yeah i love it and how often do you get out well yeah you know at least a co- uh probably you know a couple weeks every year is what i get to do uh and obviously if it's you know elk season in in colorado um and then there's deer season in california and turkey season so so do you get to hunt near vale where you live oh yeah 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 a lot of elk up there man. oh my god colorado has twice as many elk as any other state in the country it is amazing and you know from the house or you know dropping the kids off at school just drive up the road a little bit and be spotting you know hey there's some elk up there and you know where the kids go to school there's a there's a sheep herd you know just up in the mountains like wow. oh my god it'll take me about 45 years to draw that tag but yeah <laughs> might as well start <laughs> yeah get those points up absolutely yeah so that's that's uh, a, another good reason to live in Colorado right like you're, absolutely. you're out there near i mean mule deer whitetails i mean that's a pretty game rich state yeah the elk i mean you know i like i like the venison but elk that's probably the, the thing king. i would eat yeah Nonstop. Yeah, people who have never tried it before really, they, they, I mean, you can get it in a restaurant, but you're getting it from New Zealand, and it's not going to be as fresh, and it's not the same, but it's an unbelievable meat. Well, pulling it out of your freezer and making it there for your kids, I mean, there's nothing, there's no, nothing more organic than that, you know? Especially when you know specifically where it came from. You yeah. were there. Yeah, this is not mixed up with some other crap from some other farm or something. This is it. This has been cut and prepared for you. So I see that massive thick bastard out in your yeah, that was entryway. My latest one, yeah, dude, that that's is a something. Big boy, where, yeah. where is that? That's from I Tahoe guess, Ranch. 
Huh? I should have let you guess. No, it's I was going to guess New Mexico. No, that's from here, okay. California. Tejon Ranch, they put Rocky Mountain Elk in Tejon Ranch in the 1950s. And because California, it's uh, about a half hour outside of Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like mid-California. And because of that, it's not cold. Like it, They get snow up there, but not enough snow where the elk have to struggle for food. Right. So they eat a lot. Yeah. A lot of mountain lions up there, though. Dude. They have a, it's they, a ma- massive, massively thick. It's a big animal. Yeah, he was huge. He was like a thousand pounds. It's a big ass elk. But bow, that one was a rifle. Hmm. Yeah, I've shot one there last year with a bow. This year I went with a bow. We unsuccessfully hunted for five days <laughs> and pulled out a rifle and got it done in an hour. Yeah, <laughs> I so, go back and forth with cheating. the bow. Ah, Do you? you know? It's not cheating. I mean, it's it's hunting. But it's if you want certainly meat, hunting, it's the best way to go. I, I I'm a meat hunter, and that's yeah. the way to do it. You know. And, How often uh, do you bow hunt? Uh, n- I, d- I do it on my ranch uh, at home in California. Uh, it's just tough. It's tough with the yeah. blacktail. You know, right. you gotta. Um, Blacktail's a fairly small deer too. Yeah, it's, it's a- pretty tough. I just like pulling it. I like you know target practicing and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I have gone bow hunting, <clears throat> taking a pretty nice elk with it. When it's the rut, I mean that. Yeah, it's so amazing, and it scares the shit out of you when that they're screaming, that friggin' frothed beast coming running down at you <laughs> with a heart, ready on. to kick your ass or <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> yeah, it's a pretty intense moment, right? Um, but I've missed some stuff so much, and I just you know I'd rather use I, I want to get the animal down and done <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so well, rifle's definitely rifle's the best way awesome. to do that yeah but bow i bow hunting requires so much more discipline it's just it's mm-hmm. a constant pursuit but for me it's a great meditation just the practice of archery not mm-hmm. not even just bow hunting I'm, I'm a big fan of just i love to do it like i'll leave here i'll go home i'll shoot 100 arrows cool you know just to just clean my head out it's a it's good a way to just because you can't think about anything else other than that target in order to do it right especially sure. when you're shooting at like 70 yards or something long yeah yeah. yeah. So, what bow you got? I saw you got a. I use a Hoyt. Hoyt. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a Hoyt Pro Defiant. It's the newest model. It's just a fucking awesome bow. This is the coolest thing about bows is that unlike rifles, I mean rifles, the technology is at such a high level. But I have a rifle from three years ago. It's awesome. It's just as good. But yep. a bow from three years ago, it's well, it's like a little behind the times. You so know, true. you got some new technology. You could still use it. You could still kill something with it. But the newest stuff, they. The, the technology in bows, they essentially innovate every year. I agree. Yeah. And yeah, I had a, yeah, I had a Matthews from, you know, three years ago and I went in to get it tuned up and the guy said, Oh my God. It's like, you know, a, a computer that's a few years old. Wow. It's dude. If you want to get hooked up with Hoyt, this, <laughs> if you want to get hooked up with Hoyt, I'll have one sent to you. Okay. I'll hook it up. Let's do well, it. I got, I got a Matthews that I really love and you know, who knows next year, like you said, the technology, just the way they pull, the way they balance, and all that stuff that, like you said, with a gun, you know, gun guns have come a lot of ways, a long ways, too. I got this awesome, fierce gun that, uh, you know, carbon fiber barrel and it's super lightweight for packing in, you mm-hmm. know, it's down to like six pounds, you know, with the scope on it. So, yeah, lightweight, good. Yeah, if you're going like sheep hunting or something like that, you're going way up into the mountains. Like mm-hmm. the, I know guys who cut the bottom off of their toothbrush in order to save weight. I mean, <laughs> literally, they do everything they can. They cut every ounce. Bring a toothbrush for. 
They get to brush your teeth up in the mountain. You don't brush your teeth? No They're going to smell your stinky-ass fucking breath before anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the first thing they smell. That's why I'm unsuccessful. That's I know guys who actually eat, like, uh, they'll take pine leaves and chew them up inside their mouth just so that their breath doesn't come off as some meat-eating monster predator to a deer. Or Interesting. Yeah. All right. Because I think that's probably like one of our big smells is the breath. Right. You know, B.O. and then your breath. A lot of people smell, breath smells worse than their B.O., right? You got to think. <laughs> Especially old old guy. Yeah. Old guy. Like, Rotten insides. Yeah. All that fucking funk. So you spray up? You do all that stuff and get... get... I don't spray up. No, I uh, I've used ozonics, you know mm. those uh, ozone things in a tree stand. I've used that where they mm. they blow ozone on you and it confuses the scent. Mm. That's that actually works. It's mm. very bizarre. It has to be directly on you, and the ozone somehow attaches itself to your scent molecules. And then when the deer gets it, he's like, "What in the fuck is this?" Mm. But it doesn't blow off all those red flags where he just wants a you know he smells a predator and he wants a bolt. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess that'd be. You could see the results of it if you're in the same spot year after year or something. Mm -hmm. But I never know if that stuff works, you know, because we're traveling, doing different stuff, different places all the time. Yeah. Know? Well, most of the hunts I go on are spot and stalk, so that's not really, it doesn't really right. apply. But in that sense, when you're doing something spot and stalk, you just have to play the wind. If yep. your wind is going towards them, you're fucked. They're just, that's what they're designed for. I mean, they can smell things. The way I describe it to people is like, you know how you could smell a skunk if it got killed like five blocks away? That's how a deer can smell. Yeah. That's how an elk can smell. They can smell you like a skunk. Like they're like, "Fuck, let's get out of here." They <laughs> they smell skunk. They bolt. You know, right. I've I've seen them smell you from a hundred, two hundred yards out, and they just catch your wind and like boing, boing. Fuck this. Yeah. They just bound away. So brush your teeth. Yeah, you gotta wow. brush your teeth, bro. Thanks for the tip. It's probably a good idea. <laughs> You're 53. I got to tell you to brush your teeth. <laughs> Listen, man. It's hard to tell a rock star to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that some people like about hunting is that you don't have to wash. You just go out there and wear the same goddamn clothes for five, six days in a yeah, row. Yeah, and that doesn't send off a signal. <clears throow> oh, it sure yeah. certainly will. But if you're sure. wearing merino wool, especially like base layers, yeah, it actually can it, it absorbs most of the smell. So you think the baby wipes do good or bad? Well, uh, baby wipes, pro it's probably better not to smell like shit, especially human <laughs> don't shit. don't smell like a fake cleaning product either. Maybe you know? the fake cleaning product won't. I think anything odd to a deer is probably not good. Right. But I think there's probably specific predator smells that we, ex you know, mm. unless you're like a strict vegetarian who also hunts. I would imagine that like, you smell terrible. You can probably smell like a killer. I don't know what they're smelling. Right. You know, I would, I would like to know, like, if they could tap into the mind of a deer when it smells a person, like, what, what alarms go off? That would be bizarre. Like, the, you know, it's like the red flag and the cape on the bulls. Like, it's, yeah. it's not really red. It's just something's moving. You know, what do they see? What do they hear? What do they smell? Um, yeah, I guess once we figure that out, then it's really on. <laughs> How much how much <laughs> shit did you have to deal with when there was that the blowback from that the hunt show? You know, uh, it w it's like I wanted to get into voiceovers, so mm -hmm. that I took the gig. Now you have a great okay. voice for it. It was, it was. I didn't even know it was your voice while you were doing it. It was kind of interesting. Like it, it's, you, you, you know, you did it in a very professional manner, but it, it was a very. <laughs> it's a controversial show because it was grizzly bear hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, you know, I took the gig. 
you know i wanted to i mm-hmm. wanted to get into voiceover stuff so that was offered to me and yeah i probably had could have had a choice whether i did it or not but that's what that was and um <clears throat> i think the main the main headbutting happened when i did that show and then we went to go do glastonbury which is like the ultimate like uh celebration of uh english hippie dumb mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh they somehow caught wind that i'd been a you know always oh, a hunter and he did this show and uh and it was like boycott metallica you know don't play the show we don't want that and wow you know uh so what we did was we made a we made this silly m- video there's always something going on in england where you know there's a there's something there's a controversy <clears throat> that's going to happen with the you know the uh, so when an artist shows up, they do something. They they want something special. Is what they want. So the fact that I was, you know, I did this bear hunting show, and so we made this movie uh, about. Uh, it was a guy in England put this movie together that, um, that depicted old school English hunt, huntsmen. You know, they're on horseback, fox hunters. You know, and off release release the fox and all the hounds go and they they go galloping through the uh the uh the the english countryside and they come to a spot and they start getting shot at and it's these bears come out of the woods and they've shot the hunters and they become the hunter and the crowd loved it you know they oh yeah right you know (laughs) arm the bears you know uh so it kind of just instantly diffused all that bullshit. And, you know, when you're able to, like we said earlier, make fun of yourself and make fun of controversy, then it just it kind of goes away. And then you just get on, you know, get get back to business, you know. Was it frustrating when they were distributing that picture that wasn't even you? It was a photo of some guy that looked kind of like you right. in front of this giant brown bear. Well, that to me just told them told me about them that they're ignorant and that's not even me so you know there <clears throat> there are people out there that want to just they just want to throw the fuel on the fire and make it crazier and get upset about stuff and uh you know um i i got no control over that man <laughs> you know once it's out there you, you, you know <clears throat> i don't want to spend all my time justifying what i do or don't do and it it's not even something that i did you know right so yeah, it's a waste of time. Do you bear hunt at all? I did. I did. But now I wear clothes. <laughs> Do you hunt bear? That was really stupid, man. Sorry. I like stupid jokes casually. <laughs> Do you hunt bear? <clears throat> uh, I did. I went I went to Russia, went to Kamchatka and and uh, and hunt bear. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy crazy adventure. Was it brown bear or what do the yeah. what do they have up there? Yeah, yeah it was brown bear. It did you that. eat any of it? No, no, I did not, and that's one regret I have. And I mean, getting the meat. I mean, for some reason they didn't allow you to bring meat from Russia into America. Um, <clears throat> but we did have meat there. They had meat from other bears, and so that's how we s- sustained ourselves out in the middle of the Kamchatka. What does brown bear taste like? You know, I don't, bear doesn't taste great to me. It's super fatty for sure. Uh, this this was less fatty because it was you know spring bear and then you know they were out you know they hadn't they just come out of hibernation so 
it i wouldn't it's not my favorite thing so i probably wouldn't hunt it again because i do like to eat what i what i what i harvest so it wasn't wasn't great but we had lynx we had all kinds of different stuff there that they you know they were lynx? out in the middle of you nowhere lynx yeah what does that taste like tastes like chicken you know <laughs> everything tastes like chicken uh you know it depends on how you cook it i mean it's meat i mean it, it tasted like meat <laughs> and we were in this little little hut that was super short cuz you know it's really really cold out there and there was like about 8 feet of snow and uh yeah you're in this little hut that's really short to keep warm you know and uh the the hunter the guides out there they had AK47s you know we were it was pretty scary you know we took a, a military helicopter we probably flew 2 hours in this thing that looked like it it survived world you know one and two well it wasn't around world war one but survived world war two and it was you know exhaust down the side and no seats and we're sitting on the metal floor and we get dropped off in the middle of this nowhere place and these guys have snowmobiles and there's you can't get around because the snow is so thick you need a snowmobile and the guys show up and they're you know there here's Russians with AK-47s. <laughs> We're Americans. Hi, you know. <laughs> hey, how uh, common is it that they have these hunts out there? It's they you know, kn- so they knew what they were doing. This is a normal thing they do. It was set up, you know. It's like you know the um, um, through the Safari Club, you know, and uh, it was just one of those crazy things. It's like, hey, I'm gonna try this and uh, get scared, and I was. <laughs> Wow, listen, man, you got to get out of here because I know you're uh, you're supposed to leave it too. It's a couple minutes later than that. So, uh, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. It was great meeting you. It was uh, great talking to you, and uh, it was just awesome conversation. Well, likewise, brother. I appreciate you, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I will. You right too. On. All right. See you, folks. <laughs> <laughs>